0: You're listening to New Cities Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep in God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. We're here for Advent week two. Advent is this time of the year that the church remembers that Christ came. Uh, The word Advent means uh, a coming into view, an arrival, And there were prophecies about the coming Messiah that happened for thousands of years, and then it happened. And that's what we look back to. It happened 2,000 years ago. And as we look at Advent, it reminds us that Jesus came, his first Advent, and he's coming back, his second Advent. Last week, Randy Neighbors spoke to us um, from Luke 1 and Mary's song of praise called the Magnificat which is her praising God that she gets to be the one who bears the Christ child in her womb. So an amazing thing. And then this week we're going to be looking at Zechariah, also in Luke 1, who has this prayer called the Benedictus, or the blessing towards God, when he finds out that his wife will bear John the Baptist, who was the one to announce the coming Messiah. So I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask John and Dan to come on up, and they're going to read our scripture today. Let me pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the presence of the Spirit among your people. We would not have chose Jesus had not the Spirit worked in our lives and awakened our hearts. And we would not grow in Christ had the Spirit not been working. And we would not have hope if the Spirit wasn't reminding us that we are children of God. So we pray once again, not because we're good or we have anything to offer you, but that once again, because you're good, the spirit would be at work in the preaching of your word. And that as we sit in this wonderful passage in Luke 1, it might fill us with hope and encouragement and might change us and give us great joy as once again we rehearse the advent of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Zechariah is a priest. Of Israel and he is serving in the temple and his wife and he are unable to have children. We get the sense that maybe he's a little bit older so maybe his friends are having grandbabies and he has not even had a baby. And while he's serving in the temple, an angel of the Lord appears to him and that's what John is going to read us right now.
1: An angel of the Lord appears to him. Standing to the right of the altar of innocence. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, overcome with fear. But the, the angel, angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Guy's <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is why God invented sound checks. There you go. <laughs> but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this, Zechariah asked the angel, for I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe in my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, He went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. John uh, comes.
0: John is born to Elizabeth. Elizabeth gets pregnant and John the Baptist is born and there's a controversy over his name. Because no one in his family is named John. Everyone says, let's name him Zechariah after his father. And Zechariah writes down on a tablet, no, his name will be John. As I was told, I'm going to obey in faith. And at that moment, Zechariah's voice comes back. And he's able to praise the Lord. And now what Dan's going to read is that praise to the
2: Lord. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption of his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets in the ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hands of our enemies, to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness in the presence, in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, uh, the dawn from the on high will visit us, to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. The child grew up and became spiritually strong, and he was in the wilderness in the days of his public appearance to Israel.
0: Thank you both. I love Christmas. I love Christmas time. I got an amen from the elf in the front row. (laughs) I told her if she wants to dress as an elf and worship Jesus, that's fine. But I love Christmas. I love the decorations, and I love the lights, and I love the songs, and I'm okay with the parades. I know my kids like the parades, so I I like the parades, but I, I do like the cookies even more. I love Christmas because it gives all of us just a little bit of a sense of escape from the harsh realities of life. It gives us a little bit of a break from January through November and all the challenges that they present, and, and we're, all, we're almost numbed a little bit with nostalgia, that, that good feeling that comes up in us from the past as we think about memories of Christmas or holidays. And it just makes us feel good. But, but here's the problem with all that. Not that Christmas is a problem, but here's with the problem with escaping during Christmas time January comes, and all the problems that you had in November are right there waiting for you. In January, aren't they? As a matter of fact, they never went anywhere. You might have felt like you escaped during November, but right in the middle of Christmas, you still got your problems right there with you. You just forgot about them. Not only that, but you're still struggling with issues in your own life, struggling with brokenness in your own life, and trying to figure that out, and maybe even using Christmas to avoid those things. We use Christmas as an escape, but the reality is all the broken stuff is still there. I went to Home Depot with my wife and kids uh, earlier last week to go get a Christmas tree. You know, they have that big tent out there in Oakwood, and if you go at the wrong time, you won't get a good tree, and we didn't know, are there going to be any good trees there? Well, we went, and there was a stall where there was affordably priced trees, and they had not been picked through yet. In fact, they were still like meshed in that net, so you couldn't even tell how big they were. So I got in this stall and I was kind of rooting around the trees while my wife and three girls were waiting for me. And I found a tree that I thought, this is gonna look good, I think. I think if we cut it open and let the branches down when we get it out, it'll be a good tree. Not a perfect tree, but a good tree. And I don't really want to spend an hour looking through trees, so I'm gonna get this one and I'm gonna hope for the best. So I pull it out of the stall and I drag it over to my family who's watching. And I said, I think this is going to be a good tree. I think it's going to be a good tree. So someone let us borrow scissors and we cut that net off and we all kind of fluffed the Christmas tree down. And then everyone was kind of silent for a minute as we looked at the tree. And, you know, I'm worried because when you pick out the tree and you have four people who are going to offer suggestions on what a good tree is, you might not please them right away. It might be too tall, it might be too short, or someone might notice that, that the needles are missing on a side. But we pulled this tree open, and we looked at it, and we all just kind of looked at each other. This is it. This is a good tree. This is a good tree. We're gonna, we got it right on the first try. So Virginia takes the girls and goes and looks at Christmas decorations, and I drag it up to the counter to pay for it. And I leave it uh, next to the counter, like kind of behind me so I can't see it and I'm getting ready to pay and I turn around and there's this woman like looking at my tree like she's looking at the price tag and I was like excuse me you can look at my tree you can even pet my tree but you cannot take my tree it's my tree and it's a good tree Jesus loves you Merry Christmas so I pay for the tree and then I've gotta drag it all the way back through the stalls like right down the aisle to where they're chopping the trunk and making it fresh. So it's a heavy tree and I kind of drag it through the aisles and I get, I get all the way to the end, like right where Susan is, and I, I'm in this last stall, right next to this last stall, and there's this woman who's looking through some of the least expensive trees. And they had been picked through. And she is kind of stepping over and around the trees, and I can tell, like, she's angry. She's mad. She's got a little bit of an edge to her. And, and I'm dragging my tree and I kinda look over at her and she goes that's a good tree and I was like I know it is a good tree it is a good tree she goes I can't afford a tree like that and I wanted to be like actually this was in the affordable section over there it's not that expensive but she was like I got bills to pay I can't afford a tree like that and she said it in a way where I could tell she was almost a little bit mad at me for something it, and she she just kinda kept going and stepping around the trees muttering under her breath and just kinda throwing them out of her way because she was mad that she was in that stall having to pick through those pick through trees. I handed my tree to the guy who was gonna cut, cut it up and clean it up and I waited outside and I just watched and that woman stayed in that stall it wasn't a very big stall she stayed in that stall for the next 10 minutes Walking over Christmas trees and kind of throwing one this way and throwing one that way, muttering under her breath, and I could just tell she was unhappy. Because she had gone to look for a Christmas tree, she had gone for a little bit of an escape, and her problems followed her right into that stall. Her problems followed her right into that stall. Though she was hoping Christmas would give her a bit of an escape, she was still a person with problems. She was still a broken person in a broken world. And I thought, isn't that kind of a picture of Christmas? I mean, there we are. We're surrounded by all this stuff that's happening during this season, and yet we still got our problems. The world's still a broken place. I still need healing in my soul. I still need my problems fixed, and I can't really escape even though I want to. We look at Christmas sometimes to help us forget the harsh realities of life, to numb us a little bit with nostalgia. But I'll tell you, it doesn't really deal with life as it is. I mean, Christmas might help us escape in a sense, but it doesn't help us confront the realities of life. I mean, I love Christmas lights, but Christmas lights do not outshine the darkness of death. In August, I got a phone call from my wife on August 2nd 2nd, saying that a friend of our family had taken his life. A few weeks later, my wife's grandmother passed away, and then a few weeks ago, Carol passed away. I love Christmas lights, but they don't outshine the darkness of death. I love Christmas cookies but I find that they don't satisfy the deep hunger in my soul this year has been a super busy year and I found out about myself that when the pressure is on me I tend to look to put my self-worth and identity in things that I should not put my self-worth and identity in like how the church is doing if it's going well then I'm doing well if things are challenging then I'm not doing well and that's a complete roller coaster do you ever do that? Do you ever put your self-worth or identity in something that you shouldn't because your soul is so hungry? You put it in, like, how your kids are doing or how much you think someone loves you or how quickly you're climbing the corporate ladder or at your job? I love Christmas cookies, but I find they don't satisfy the deep hunger in our soul. And I like Christmas parades, but they don't stop the evil that advances in our streets. And I love the Christmas spirit. But it doesn't silence that sneaking suspicion in all of us that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And we are not as we should be. See, we can use Christmas to escape. We can use Christmas to forget. We can use Christmas to numb. But we are still broken people living in a broken world. Pastor John, you just bummed me out. I was enjoying Christmas until the last five minutes, and and you might say, I have these longings in my heart. I do have these longings to see the world fixed, and I have these longings to see the world renewed, and I want to see myself restored, and I want to see peace come, and I want to see things made new. And that's just not gonna happen. So John, give us Christmas. Just let us escape and check out for this Christmas time. Let us numb with the nostalgia, let us forget. I get that feeling. Because I like Christmas. It does give us an escape. But let me challenge you. And let me encourage you. Don't numb the longings. Don't numb the longings you have as a broken person living in a broken world who longs for healing and restoration and renewal and peace and joy. Don't use Christmas to escape the world in its harsh realities. Rather, acknowledge the world as it really is, and acknowledge yourself for who you really are, a broken person living in a broken world. Because once you go there, once you say, I'm not going to escape, I'm going to look at the world as it really is, that's when the hope of Jesus begins to make sense that's when Christmas becomes more than just the Christmas spirit and more about Jesus entering into this world. That's when Christmas takes on a deeper meaning because it's more about Advent, which is the coming of God, rather than the escape of us from the harsh realities of life. Because God entered this world, as it really is, to bring healing and restoration and peace to broken people. Zechariah was a man who had deep longings as a broken man living in a broken world. He was a priest, and he was serving at the temple where God was supposed to live. The only problem is that God had not spoke in 400 years. And during that time, his people, Israel, had become very spiritually dull and uninterested. And so Zechariah worked at the temple where God was supposed to live and he walked among his people who were dull spiritually and he longed for God to speak, to say something, to bring life and light into his deep longings and brokenness. But not only that, the world that Zechariah lived in was broken. You see, his people were oppressed by Rome. He lived in a country that was his country except There were foreign soldiers walking through their streets, and they paid taxes to that oppressing force. And so he longed for God to enter into that brokenness and free them from their oppressor. But probably the most pointed thing in this passage is what he and his wife longed for. A son, a daughter, a child, anything. They'd been praying, they'd been longing, they'd been hoping, but they were unable to conceive They were unable to have a baby. And you can imagine how many times they had prayed in that process, how many times their heart had hurt as they watched other friends bounce babies on their knee, and as they thought about the brokenness of their own situation and all the longings that that brought up in their hearts. Zachariah was a broken man living in a broken world, longing for God to enter into the reality of his brokenness. And then an angel shows up. An angel shows up while Zechariah is serving in the temple and says, Zechariah, God is coming. He's going to enter in. He's, He's coming to bring salvation and healing and renewal and restoration. And he's going to give you a son and that son is going to be part of the process of God entering in. Your son is coming to announce the way for God to enter into this earth and bring healing and restoration to broken people in a broken world. Zechariah's son would prepare the way for God himself to come as Messiah. And you can imagine that Zechariah struggles with this because he's had all these longings unfulfilled in the midst of living in a broken world. And you have to understand what he might have felt, which is, I think my situation's too broken for God to work. And there he is, stuck between faith and doubt. Faith because there's literally an angel right in front of him, doubt because of all the brokenness he's experienced as a broken man living in a broken world. You've been there, right? any questions how can I know this how can I know that my wife is going to have a child because we can't have children and then how can that child if we can not have children be the one who announces that God himself is coming to bring restoration the situations too broken and yet the angel says hey I've just come from the presence of God nothing's too broken but because you did not believe You will be silenced until the child is born. And he is. He's silenced. And I think that's a good encouragement for us to believe God even in the midst of our brokenness. Our brokenness is real. Our doubts come up. And yet, we're called to faith in God and his power. John is silenced while the baby grows in his wife's womb. And then the baby arrives... And as an act of obedience, he he says the baby will be named John. Except he can't say it, so he writes it down. The baby will be named John just as the angel said. He will not be named after Zechariah but John. And at that moment, his mouth is opened. He's able to speak. And what's amazing about what comes out of his mouth is you see the longings of a broken man living in a broken world turn to You see, the longings of a broken man living in a broken world acknowledge the realities but say God is bigger and he's committed to bringing healing to broken people in a broken world. And that's what he talks about. God's commitment to bring healing to broken people living in a broken world. In chapter 1, verse 68 and 72, as he starts, he says this, blessed is the Lord the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. I want to focus in on that phrase, remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. The Bible is incredibly honest about how broken the world really is. It starts off in a garden where man and woman are in harmony with one another. They're naked and unashamed. They walk with God in the cool of the day, and then they rebel against him. And what we see in Genesis 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, is that the world continues to get more and more and more broken. Brother kills brother. Man oppresses woman. Wickedness, evil, oppression just grows and grows and grows until God gets to the point where He said, I regret that I have made man because they are so evil. He brings judgment on mankind through Noah and the flood. And we have this new Adam, this Noah, who comes out of the boat. And then there's this weird, sinful thing that happens as soon as they get out of the boat. And it's like, wait a minute. We thought that we had just had a reset, but the world continues to be broken. And by Genesis 11, you see man, humankind uniting at the Tower of Babel to shake their fists at God. And you look at Genesis 1 through 11 and you say, what a mess! What a mess! The Bible's so honest about how accurate and, and, and broken this world really is. And you expect that God would enter in again with judgment. But he doesn't enter in with judgment in Genesis 11. He enters in with promise and blessing and hope. He makes a promise to Abraham that his people would cover the earth and that they would be a blessing to a broken world. And that eventually their family would be the family that brings light and hope and salvation to broken people living in a broken world. God, even though the world is so broken, was committed to bless people in the midst of the mess. And what Zachariah is acknowledging thousands of years after Abraham is that God kept his promise. He has seen the misery and sin and evil over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And he's still committed to enter in and bring healing and hope through the Messiah. Several years ago some friends of ours asked me to help them move and I was expecting to go over to their house and find a stack of boxes and everything put in those boxes and the furniture cleaned off and ready to be carried to the moving truck. I expected the closets to be emptied of clothes and those things to be packed away in boxes so that we could just enter in and bring that stuff to the truck. I thought the dishes would be out of the cupboard and the kids' toys would be packed away and uh, me and these guys could just lift these boxes and quickly move everything to the truck. And so I allocated about two hours' time for this moving project. Except when I got to the house, the dishes were still in the cupboard. All the clothes were still in the closets. The sofas all had messes all over them there was nothing done, nothing. And I walked in and I saw that, I I began to twitch a little bit because I realized what the rest of my afternoon was gonna look like, and I just couldn't handle it. I love you, but I don't wanna touch your stuff. I don't wanna like get your clothes out, that's just, it's too much, it's too messy. And I honestly, I only lasted two hours and I was like, I gotta get out of here, I just can't, I can't do this, it's too much. If you think about everything that God has seen since the beginning of the world, if you think about every broken situation, every broken person, every broken marriage, every act of oppression, it can discourage us because it's too messy. It's not put together the way it should be. But it does not discourage God. I wavered in my commitment as soon as I saw how much work that house was going to be. I was like, I can't do this. But over thousands of years, God has never wavered in his commitment to bring blessing through the promised Messiah. He's seen every broken situation. He's seen the content of every human heart. He's seen every act of oppression, every act of hate. He's seen every, every person who's gossiped and stolen, and yet he's not discouraged. He's committed And that is the very thing that Zachariah celebrates. He remembered his covenant. He remembered the promise that he spoke. He saw the complete mess all along, and he hasn't backed away. He's still coming. He's committed. He's going to come in and bless and bring healing and restoration and renewal and peace and salvation. Not to people as they should be, not to a world as it should be, but to people as they really are. To broken people living in a truly broken world. No matter the mess, he will bless by sending the Messiah. And what Zachariah is also excited about is that his son, this baby in Elizabeth's womb, gets to be the one that prepares people for God to enter in. For God to come and fix the brokenness. And we know from reading on that this son will be John the Baptist. The one who's a voice crying out in the wilderness. Zechariah says this in verse 76, speaking to this child that's going to be in his wife's womb. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of of sin. John the Baptist's role was going to be that of an announcer. They, say, they use the term a herald. It's someone who comes before and says, don't look at me, look at what's coming behind me. But be prepared. You can't just, you can't just wait. You have to prepare yourself for what's coming next. John the Baptist was to to come and say, get ready for salvation that is coming to broken people in a broken world. Well, How do you get ready for salvation? You have to see your need for it, and you have to grab hold of it when it comes. That was John's message, which is why Zechariah says, can you go back one? Which is why Zechariah says to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. John the Baptist's role was to call people to see that they needed forgiveness for their sins and that you and I need forgiveness for our sins. John the Baptist's role was to say, salvation's about to come, but if you don't know your need for it, you'll miss it. If you don't know your need for it, you'll miss it. The Messiah Jesus was about to enter in into the very world that we want to escape. He was about to enter in and come for us because every one of us is a sinner that needs forgiveness. I think that's challenging for us at Advent to remember that Christmas is not about escaping a broken world as broken people. It's not about escaping all our problems that separate us from the life that we want. No, we have a deeper problem than that. Our problem is that we are broken and have been separated from the life of God. And Christmas is about Jesus Christ entering into that reality on our behalf. Every human being has replaced the one true God with a fake God. We've, we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, as Romans 1 says, and we've put things like our own pleasure as our God, or we've made our freedom our God, or our status Comfort, or even the fact that we want to be a good person, we can exchange that with the one true God and make that our God. And what that causes is the broken world that we live in. We don't love difficult people because we're addicted to our personal freedom. We don't do difficult things unless they benefit us because our God is really our comfort. We cut corners and put others down and justify it because it helps our status. We don't show mercy to our enemies because it makes us uncomfortable. We do good things in public but not in private because our God is being seen as a good person. And every person who has ever lived has made something else their God instead of God. Whether it be their pleasure or their freedom or their comfort or their status. And when we do that, it causes us to have separation with God. And it causes the broken world that we live in. The broken world that we live in didn't just happen. It happened because man made God not their God and put something else in his place. And this is why the world is a broken place full of broken people like you and me. John the Baptist's role was to come and tell people Wake up to the reality that the world is a mess because of humanity, because of us. Wake up to the fact that you've been separated from God because you've made something else your God. Wake up to the fact that you need forgiveness. But the good news is, is once you understand that, forgiveness is about to arrive. The Messiah is coming. And even though this world is a dark place there's about to be a true light. The light switch is about to turn on. And the Messiah is about to come into the world to bring healing and restoration and forgiveness to broken people like you and me. Zechariah ends his prayer in verse 78 and says this, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God enters into a broken world full of broken people by sending his son Jesus to light up the darkness. And that light is his love. In a loveless world, Jesus enters in not to get something from us, but to give something to us. He suffered. He was crucified and he died. He took the punishment that you and I deserve in order that we could be reconciled to the God who we've offended. He rose from the dead to give new life so that you and I could walk every day as resurrection people having hope in a broken world. And he lives in your heart now, if you know him, he lives in your heart to satisfy your deepest spiritual hunger. One day he will return to destroy death forever. When you begin to understand that that is God's commitment to heal a broken world, that Jesus is God's answer to broken people living in a broken world, you begin to understand that Christmas is not about escape. Rather, it's about awe and astonishment that the Son of God would enter this mess on behalf of sinners like you and me who do not deserve it and save broken people living in a broken world and take your place under the wrath of God so that you could be called God's beloved. I know that you still have longings. I know that you still have problems. I know that you're still imperfect. Jesus coming doesn't make us perfect. It doesn't take away our problems. It doesn't mean that we aren't broken. But it does mean that we have a deep peace. Because the deepest brokenness we have is our relationship with God. But through him entering in and dying on our behalf, we now are reconciled to God. not as No longer as judge, but as father. And therefore, we become a forgiven people at peace. Now, agents of God's peace and love and joy in the midst of a broken world. And all those problems that you have, that you long for them to be solved, and all the brokenness that you see, don't numb that. That's meant to stir up the longing in you. Because Jesus came once to heal, but he comes again to finalize that healing and to make all things new. And when you experience the pain and brokenness of life, let that stir up your longing so that you can say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, you came once, we long for you to come again and bring healing and restoration Don't numb your longings as broken people in a broken world. Stay hungry during this Christmas season because Jesus has come to bring light to you and heal your relationship with God. And he will come again to banish darkness and death and evil and oppression and sin. And he will make all things As we live together with him in a city where no light is needed. Because Jesus and his glory light up the city. Jesus is our light and salvation. Jesus is the reason we celebrate even as broken people living in a broken world. And Jesus is the reason we stay ready for his return. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you entered the mess. We don't deserve for you to come, but you did anyway. And you entered in to bring light into darkness and salvation into brokenness. And Lord, this Advent season, would you keep us awake and hungry and longing for you to return again? We thank you and we love you, Jesus. Would you stand with me? As we've been doing the last few weeks, you can respond by singing. If you want to go in the back and write a prayer, or if something's stirred up in you and you need me to pray for you, I'd love to do that. I'll be in the back. Let's sing. leave you here forever. He's coming back one day for us. And that will give you deep hope if you place that in the depths